Amen. It is good to see you guys this morning. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open those to the book of Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes chapter 8 is where we will start. We'll finish in chapter 9, but we're going to get through it together. Uh, Yesterday, Hope left. She had something she had to do during the day, which meant that I had the kids from pretty early on in the morning until uh, midway through the day. And I I don't know if it's a, a great exchange that... For whatever reason, she deals with them every single day, and I deal with them like that occasionally, and I feel like it's a push. But I am spending the day with the kids. We're hanging out together, and they are asking me for trivial things like food. And there comes a point when when Alder asked me for his favorite thing in the world. He loves trail mix. I don't know if, if you like trail mix, but the trail mix that we buy at the house is from Costco, but because when you have more than two children, you should shop at Costco so that you've got, you know, leftover peaches for months. But we have the this trail mix that we have, and it has various things in it, trail mix stuff that you would probably like. It's full of M&Ms, it's full of nuts, and, and it's full of raisins. Right, so this mixed mixed bag of a variety of nuts, M and M's, and raisins. So I walk around the house and I see Alder's cup that I'd poured this in, so that he would not dump it everywhere in my home. And, and here's what I found: <laughs> every time he eats trail mix, that's what he has. What we have left. He, he goes into the bag. When it gets in the cup, he takes out the things that he likes, the M&M's first. He then eats the occasional peanut, possibly the cashew, and he leaves a cup of raisins for a mouse to find or something to that effect. It's him taking what is good, leaving what's bad, and, and just going forward. When we get to Ecclesiastes, we're continuing to look at the idea of God doing this incredible thing where he brings before us the idea that in our life, we don't get to live like that as much as we would want to. As much as we want to pick out the things in this life that we love and leave behind the things that are hard, that isn't what we get to do. And we see this in this text. We actually see that God not only says you don't get to be using both of those for a purpose. God is using the difficult things in life to show us that in suffering, that that suffering is there to show each of us that He is the uh, the hope in the midst of that suffering. And God is also using the, the really good things in our lives. Those good things are causing us to seek and see that, yes, the God who we have found in Jesus, He is full of a great reward. He is our great reward. We, we, the main point of today's message is this, that God uses both pain and pleasure to cause us to long for eternity. God uses both pain and pleasure to cause us to long for eternity, to have a hope for home. We've all been there. Maybe you've been on a trip for work, or maybe you had a vacation that went bad. And when you were in the middle of this vacation gone bad, or this work trip that was miserable, all that you wanted to do was go home to get back to there. Or maybe you flip the coin over and you are on a vacation and you look back at it in the rearview mirror and you think about how wonderful that time was, how great that time was to spend with your family. And it causes you to long for what was there. What God is doing here is showing us that we are to have a longing for home and that we can see that longing through even pain and pleasure. So Ecclesiastes chapter 8, we're walking verse chapter 8 through chapter 9 verse 10. Read this with me. 
You read silently because that would be awkward. Who is like the wise person? And who knows the interpretation of a matter? A person's wisdom brightens his face and the sternness of his face is changed. Keep the king's command because of your oath made before God. Do not be in a hurry. Leave his presence. And don't persist in a bad cause. Since he will do whatever he wants. For the king's word is authoritative. And who can say to him, what are you doing? The one who keeps a command will not experience anything harmful. And a wise heart knows the right time and the procedure. For every activity there is a right time and, pr- and procedure. Even though a person's troubles are heavy on him. Yet no one knows what will happen. Because who can tell him what will happen? No one has authority over authority. Wait, no one has authority over the wind to restrain it. And there is no authority over the day of death. No one is discharged during battle. And wickedness will not allow those who practice it to escape. All All this I have seen, applying my my mind to all the work that is done under the sun, at a time when one person has authority over another to his harm. In such circumstances, I saw the wicked buried. They came and, and they went from the holy place, and they were praised in the city where they did those terrible wicked things. This too is futile, because... The sentence against an evil act is not carried out quickly. The heart of people is filled with desire to commit evil. Although a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, I also know that it will go well with God-fearing people, for they are reverent before Him. However, it will not go well with the wicked, and they will not lengthen their days like a shadow, for they are not reverent before God. There is a futility that is done on the earth. There are righteous people who get what the actions of the wicked deserve. And there are wicked people who get what the acts of the righteous deserve. I say that this too is meaningless or futile. So I commended enjoyment because there is nothing better for a person under the sun than to eat, drink, and enjoy himself. For this will accompany him in his labor during the days of his life that God gives him under the sun. When I applied my mind to know wisdom and to observe the activity that is done on the earth, even though one's eyes do not close in sleep or day or night, I observed all the work of God and concluded that a person is unable to discover the work that is done under the sun, even though a person labors hard to explore it. He cannot find it. Even if a wise person claims to know it, he is unable to discover it. Verse Chapter 9, verse 1. Indeed, I took all this to heart and explained it all. The righteous, the wicked, the wise, and their works are in God's hands. People don't know whether to expect love or hate. Everything lies ahead of them. Everything is the same for everyone. There is one fate for the righteous and for the wicked, for the good and the bad, for the clean, the unclean, for the one who sacrifices and the one who does not sacrifice. As it is for the good, so also it is for the sinner. As it is for the one who takes an oath, so also for the one who fears an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. There is one fate for everyone. In addition, the hearts of people are full of evil. And madness is in their heart while they live, after they go to the dead. But there is hope 
for whoever is joined with all the living, since a live dog is better than a dead lion. You should get that on a t-shirt. A live dog is better than a dead lion. For the live, that's not in the Bible, that's just my commentary. For the living know that this they will die, but the dead don't know anything. There is no longer a reward for them because the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, their envy have already disappeared, and there is no longer a portion for them in all that is done under the sun. Go eat your bread with pleasure. Drink your wine with a cheerful heart. Fear God, for God has already accepted your works. Let your clothes be white all the time. Never let oil be the lacking be lacking on your head. Enjoy life with your wife. You love all the days of your fleeting life, which has been given to you under the sun all your fleeting days. For what is your portion in life and your struggle under the sun? Whatever your hands find to do, do with all your strength, because there is no work, planning, knowledge, or wisdom in Sheol where you are going. Here's the thing, friends. Uh, I have spent much of the last two weeks looking over this text, and I can tell you that I understand what every singular word in these verses means, but I don't know what they meant when you put them together. So I need you to come alongside of me right now. I know Jared's already prayed, but I want us to pray over this text and see what God has to say to us from this proverbial wisdom given to us by a super old king, and let's see what this has to say to our situation. So I invite you to bow your heads while we take a moment to, to pray and ask God to teach us what it means to be His people from this text in particular. Your heads bowed. And I would just ask that you would pray now right where you are. Pray for your family. Pray for the kids who are around you. Pray for God to teach us something from what seems to be a peculiar, unique passage that has a context that gets to speak into our context. Jesus, over these people today, I do ask you to, to, to teach us together, to teach us from your word. To show us yourself from the, the truth that is here. God, I pray over these families seeking to honor you in the way they live. Seeking to honor the world that you've given us. Lord, I pray that you would teach us today what it means to be a people who belong to you. Be with us as we look at your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You see this text in three phases, really. You see the bad. Unfortunately, there's usually bad. The bad. The raisins. Uh, the, and the bad that we find in this text, it really is, can be summarized in this phrase, that you and I, we are not in control. In this, and even in this life, the ones who are in control are broken, just like you. That sounds and seems hopeless. But the first thing that Solomon tells us in verse 1 is, in this transition phrase, we talked about wisdom for the last two weeks. Who is like the wise person? And who knows the interpretation of a matter? A person's wisdom brightens his face, and the sternness of his face is changed. So do, he's saying, for the one who is seeking after the God who we found in the Bible, the God that the Jewish people knew as Yahweh, the God who we met in the person of Jesus, 
Jesus, the God who's revealed himself fully, that that person is going to seek after God. And the one who seeks after God, there's a difference, there's a uniqueness to their, the way that they interact with you. Well, what does that say? It, it lets us know that grumpiness does not demonstrate grace. When we are grumpy people, grouchy people, overwhelmingly angry people, it is saying to anyone around us that we have missed the grace of God at some point. Now, that doesn't mean that we're always sunshine and rainbows and that we're always not worrying and being happy like Bobby Farron told us to do. It means for us that if we are going to follow after Jesus, something about the interaction someone has with us should communicate more than we have information that we have memorized. He then goes and talks about a king. And as he begins to talk about this king, we get eight verses of Solomon telling us how to respond to a king. So I find it odd when you look at this passage that you have a king telling us how to respond to a king. So he, keep the king's command because of your oath made before God. Eight verses dealing with a king. Sec, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verses 2 through 9. And this is where, depending upon how you land, and really in a world where we don't have kings, we have political systems, you are going to go one of two directions. You will either give me a, that's right... Based on the day, not even based on the day, based on the minute. Or a, yeah, but. That's how we interact whenever we begin to consider authority. We are people who struggle with authority. Now, I don't struggle with authority. What are you talking about? We are American Protestants. So we are a double whammy when it comes to protest. The, the, the United States of America, we started flipping over Louisiana tea bags. We were upset. We have the, as Protestant people, that means that when we consider the teachings of the Catholic Church, we be not you, because you're not a time traveler, but when the, when the teachings of the Catholic Church went in a certain direction, there were some who said, no, we need to go another direction. So, for all of us who would say that we should be obedient all of the time in every single way, we don't have ground to stand on there. He's giving us principles, not absolutes. And we see that these principles give us guidance. I, I'm, I'm reminded of a song from my childhood. I don't want to date myself, but like around the 80s, there was a band that I loved. They were called the Beastie Boys. They're still called that. And they had a song called Fight... For your right to party. It was actually pronounced party. And the lyrics of the song go a little bit like this. Verse 1 goes, kick it. So you do. And you keep reading and it says this. <laughs> I think I pulled something. It says, you wake up late for school. Man, you don't want to go. You ask your mom please, but she still says no. You miss two classes and no homework. But your teacher preaches class like you're some kind of jerk. You've got to fight for the right to party. And then verse 3. This is better. Don't step out of this house if that's the clothes you're going to wear. Moms, you ever had that conversation? Anybody? I'll kick you out of my home if you don't cut that hair. 
There are some of them not apply well in quarantine. Your mom busted in and said, what's that noise? Oh, mom, you're just jealous. It's the Beastie Boys. So you've got this idea of rebellion, and it's really a huge part of music for the last 30 years. Think about this. Punk rock? Rap music? That's, that's It's pushing the idea of against the, the man, against re- rebellion there. So for us, as American Protestants, we see this idea of pushing back and hear Solomon saying, principles, not absolutes. We should probably listen to the king. He even then begins to tell us that there are godly ways that you should interact. Don't be in a hurry, verse 3, leave his presence. Don't be in a hurry to leave his presence and don't persist in a bad cause since he will do whatever he wants. Esther, her, her life was on the line. We, we've heard the story. We actually spent a few weeks of it last August, in it last August. And for her to leave the king's presence too quickly would have been a sign of disrespect worthy of death. It's the idea of not just acknowledging there's a problem, it's being there for the solution. Principles, not absolutes. But we do know there are times where we as followers of Jesus, those who would follow after God, should stand against oppression, right? We should push against the, the things of darkness. Do you have scriptural examples of that? Yes, we have Daniel, who goes against the king's eating multiple times because he did not want to dishonor his God. In Acts chapter 5, the law, the police, told Peter to stop preaching. He said, well, arrest me if you have to, but I'm not going to stop preaching. Friends, our entire faith system is based on the person of Jesus in him declaring a war against the reign of darkness and hell. And if we are thinking, Chad, did you just Jesus juke us? The answer to that is yes, I sure did. Because Jesus points us in a direction. We should be against things that... It seems that God is clearly against. We, we look and we see as God's people that uh, there's a pick your battle idea that's here. Verse 4, the king's word is authoritative and who can say to him, what are you doing? In another passage in the Bible, Nehemiah approaches the king prayerfully and he approaches the king carefully. Verse 5, the one who keeps a command will not experience anything harmful and a wise heart knows the right time and the procedure. So for those of us who are followers of Jesus, brought into relationship with God through the death and resurrection of His Son, as God's people, we should look for God-honoring ways to bring about God-honoring change. We should want to see the world pointing and pushed towards the hope that we have in Jesus, even though the laws, rules, and regulations will not get us there completely. Verse 6, for every activity there's a right time and procedure even though a person's troubles are heavy on him. It is easier to break things down than to build. One guy points out that you can see this with some of the construction shows. Anybody like to watch like shows where they build homes and stuff? No? Okay, some of you love that. And he points out it, the cheaper ones where it's basically on YouTube and they're, they're filming with a flip phone, you have someone who comes in and they're going to pay for the remodel, but they let the person know, we don't pay fully. Part of this you're going to deal with. Part of it you're going to pay for. And to save money, you can help with the process. You can help. Now, the, pro- the part of the process that that person always helps with, it's never fine-tuning the new home. 
It's always demolition. It's always the hammer. They don't have you doing your own plumbing. Otherwise, you're going to be backloaded all of the time. You, just, you come in for the, 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 the demolition. We see in this text that he's pointing out to us that for every action there is a right time and procedure. God is working things out, making things new. We actually see God pointing out how much we should be patient. When we look at Second Peter chapter 3, when he tells us, Peter writes, The Lord does not delay his promise as some understand delay. So for every moment we've ever had where we wonder, God, where are you? God, why are you not here? But God is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. On that day, the heavens will pass away with a loud noise. The elements will burn and be dissolved, and the earth and the works on it will be disclosed. Verse 7, Yet no one knows what will happen, because who can tell him what will happen? He then goes on as he continues to talk about this king and, and leadership there to explain to us not only the authority of the king's heart, but the authority that all of us have because most of us have some type of authority over something. No one has authority over the wind to restrain it. There's no authority over the day of death. No one is discharged during the battle. And wickedness will not allow those who practice it to escape. All this I have seen, applying my mind to all the work that is done under the sun at a time when one person has authority over another to his harm. One person has authority over another to his harm. Without some type of check, some type of balance, if you have power in your life, you will hurt people. It may be unintentional. It may not be your grand plan or your design. But without some type of accountability to hold you in the right place, by our own power, in our own power, we will hurt people. He then gives us this as he moves from the idea of how we respond to a king to how we are to fear the Lord. It says this in verse 10, In such circumstances I saw the wicked buried. So he's talking about being at a funeral. They went and they came from the holy place and they were praised in the city where they did those things. He said, I went to a funeral and I know the person was wicked. I can give you a list as to how many times that person was wicked. But we are celebrating, celebrating that person as if they are a saint. This is meaningless, Solomon says. It's the idea that we believe that justice should be swift and justice should be quick. Verse 11. The sentence against an evil act is not carried out quickly. The heart of people is filled with a desire to commit evil. Anyone ever been frustrated about something like this? Like recently? When you were younger? These are things we see. Although a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, I also know that it will go well with God-fearing people, for they are reverent before him. However, it won't go well with the wicked. They will not lengthen their days like a shadow, for they are not reverent before God. Friends, in this life, there will be times where it seems like the wicked person was right and that they were rewarded for it. And Solomon is saying to us, we are not the ones who get to make that decision. That judgment will come for all of us. 
He then talks about the limitations of life, the limitations of my life, the limitations of your life. When he says there's futility that is done on the earth, there are righteous people who get what they, the actions of the wicked deserve. Anyone ever felt that? I didn't get what I deserved. I didn't get what the reward for my labor. There's a tug of war that takes place. There's a tug of war that's always at work and it's always seeking to divide people. And if you're familiar, the meaning of the word division is, is not just a se- of separation, though that's where we get it. The, the word breaks down and literally means two visions. So division means that you have two visions that are being sought out. So you've got a tug of war. And, and in the world that we live in, there is one side who says that man is inherently good. That we are good people. So the belief of good people and belief of this system is that we should consolidate all of our resources and release the goodness of humanity through proper channels and we should seek to make the world a better place. We should manage it. We should direct it. And there's another that says that man is corrupt. And this leads to restraint. And bad people need to be protected from themselves. And since we're all bad people, we should be protected from ourselves. And we are familiar with both of those. But we can't miss this, that for all of us who claim that there, that there is a problem when you would say that there is some type of good, that all of us, every single person, regardless of the way that you see Jesus, you were made in the image of God. And because you were made in the image of God, you have dignity from God, value because of God, and you have worth given to you by God. You have a conscience that God gave you. And if you go beyond that, for those of us who are in the person of Jesus, we are to push and to pray for people to change so that they could meet and know Jesus. We should be people who purvey hope to a world that seems overwhelmingly hopeless at times. But the other side is the, the right... And that's the idea where we land in this sad situation where most people never meet Jesus and all these people have this sin nature and even Christians struggle with sin and we look at all of these things together and we have to see this tug of war. We have this world that's pulling us in whatever direction they want to direct us and we as followers of Jesus need to see there is something to be said about us looking at humanity and seeing them the way that God happens to see them. Me seeing my lost neighbor, me seeing my hurting co-worker, the way that God sees them with dignity, value, and worth. And me believing that I would hope to see change take place in whatever way and hoping that God would work things by His grace, by the power of the Spirit, so those things are enacted. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who stood up against Hitler, says, battles are won not with weapons, battles are won with God. They are one when the way leads to the cross. Followers of Jesus should always be taking the world in which we live to the cross. To take the world to the cross is to take the world to the importance of sacrifice. And it means that you will be pursuing the idea of sacrifice. One pastor that I love points out that he is too conservative for liberals and too liberal for conservatives and for all of us who are going to follow after Jesus those words should be resonate in our hearts so you've got all of this stuff that's pointed out that's bad but there is also good and you see Solomon deal with that in chapter 9 the good there are good things in this life that should make us long for heaven 
Good things in this life should make you and should make me long for heaven. They should make me see and appreciate all that God will do eternally because He has chosen to do those things in a finite situation. Things that would make me think about how good God happens to be. He looks at this text. Go, go with me to verse 1 through 4. I took all this to heart and explained it at all. The righteous, the wise, their works are in God's hands. People don't know whether to expect love or hate. Everything lies ahead of them. Everything is the same for everyone. There's one fate for the righteous, one for the wicked. So it's again pointing out everyone is coming to the same conclusion in this life under the sun. The good, the bad, the clean, the unclean, the one who sacrifices, the one who does not sacrifice, the religious, the irreligious, the, the Christian, the non-Christian, our life will conclude the same way. As is for the good, so also it is for the sinner. As it is for the one who takes an oath, also for the one who fears an oath. This is an evil in all that is done under the sun. There is one fate for everyone. This doesn't sound good yet. I'm getting there. The hearts of people are full of evil. And madness is in their hearts while they are alive. Verse 4. But there is hope for whoever is joined with all the living. Since a live dog is better than a dead lion. Now, we are in a world where people put dogs in strollers. That's not what's being talked about here. And if you're one of those stroller dog people, we should probably have a time of repentance. We would have someone pray over you, but there's six feet of social distance we're supposed to take care of. As long as we are living, this is not talking about those types of dogs. This is talking about mongrels. This is talking about animals that attack. This is talking about things that have no direction. And he's saying that even if those things are still alive, it's better than being a regal dead lion. Because dead is dead. For the living know that they will die. But the dead, verse 5, they don't know anything. There is no longer reward for them because the memory of them is forgotten. Friends, life is busy. Who had a busy week? Anybody? Anybody? Did you feel busyness this week? We have figured out in 2020 how to be at our homes and still be busy. Be careful. Because if, if you died right now, all the things that you've made yourself busy with this week, all the particular things, the, the tax workings, the, the things you invested in, the little things here and there, the trips to the grocery store, all of those things, they don't matter in the grand scheme of things. Because something's going to wash over them and take the value of those things away. I went on vacation in 1991 with my mom and my dad and my brother. We tried to leave my brother behind, but they wouldn't let me. We go on vacation and on the beach in Destin, Florida. You guys know what beaches are. They're, they're pretty. And while we're on the beach, there are these numerous sand structures that have been built. And there was this ginormous sand tortoise. It's a tortoise because of the fins. And there was a huge castle. And... My dad took pictures with multiple of these structures. He didn't build any of them. He just took pictures with them. So that it would look like he built them in memories. Those structures that people put hours into were wiped away with one wave. That's what Solomon is pointing out here. All of the things that we busy ourselves with, they matter. 
But when everything comes to its conclusion, they don't matter. Under the sun, death does what death does. It wipes things out. Verse 6, Their love, their hate, their envy has already disappeared, and there is no longer a portion for them in all that is done under the sun. He then says this, after he has pointed out how meaningless life can be if you miss it. Go. Eat your bread with pleasure. This means that every meal should not be eaten as you drive down the road on a commute. And drink your wine with a cheerful heart. If you come from a background where wine's a bad word, it just means wine. For God has accepted your works. Solomon is saying to us that there is something to be said for the believer who is, and for the human being about finding some type of joy in this life with the people that you spend your time with, with the things that you invest in, with the people that you love. Eat your bread with pleasure. Enjoy it. Drink your wine with a cheerful heart. Enjoy the people that you're around. Don't rush back to rush. We've had this opportunity Good, bad, indifferent. We can fuss and fight about it. But there has been in the micro the opportunity for families to freeze. Because things started to get canceled. How many of you have had something canceled in the last three months? Alright, that's all of us. If you've not had something canceled, boom, cancel now. Over the last three things have just been shut down. And there was this weird thing that took place in human hearts because the rush and as my grandmother would say the tizzy of life where you're just running in a blur all of the time it was removed but something happened because families started to do what? they started to sit around the table again I counted when all of the, the quarantine started and and we stopped eating at restaurants. We were eating meals at night. Every, that's when you eat dinner. And we're eating our d- dinners together. There's 41 nights in a row where I sat down at the dinner table with my family and we had m- lengthy conversations. It was overwhelming to me how good that small time of enjoying our time together was. How much it meant to my children. How beneficial it was for my family. How quickly, for those of you who felt that goodness, when they started to reopen, did the switch flip And you started to splinter out again. The human heart tries to find joy and tries to find satisfaction in everything other than what God has given us and said, these are things that are helpful. 
We've got people who are trying to make themselves whole by removal. We know that, right? There are many of us who would look at our life and we would say, I'm not going to enjoy life. I'm going to remove this, push this, pull this aside. I'm, I'm going to make God happy by subtracting things from my everyday. The other end of the extreme is there are those of us who try to make ourselves whole through reward. Through reward. When I make enough money, I'll buy a new thing, and that new thing's going to be awesome. But that won't be awesome for too long, so I have to buy another new thing. And then I've got two new things, but I like both new things. But I'm going to use both of those things and exchange them for another new thing. Because something new, is this reward, is always going to make us whole. And both of those are exhausting because you never stop running on that dumb treadmill. We are not made whole by removal or reward. We are made whole through redemption. It's the only thing that satisfies. We are made whole through redemption that God has offered us. He says in verse 8, Let your clothes be white all of the time. This is a world where joy and purity are celebrated by, by this idea of a white garment. This does not mean your child should be in white linens all the time. But joy should be present. We look and see verse 9. Enjoy life with your wife, with the love of your days. The life of Solomon is interesting. He wrote three books of the Bible. He wrote Song of Solomon super early on. He wrote Proverbs, and then he wrote Ecclesiastes at the end. Song of Solomon is about his first love. He then has 999 other relationships, and he's always longing for the first one. Enjoy life. Enjoy life with your wife. Enjoy life with the blessings God's given you. Whatever your hand finds to do, verse 10, do with all your strength because there's no work, planning, knowledge, or wisdom in Sheol where you're going. He's saying there is an end. Under the sun, we have a stop on everything. Under the sun, you and I are going to experience joy and sorrow, good and bad. But everyone is going to die. Under the sun, there is a seeming lack of control and hope. Look, if you look at the world in which we live, you notice this, you see it, you feel it. The world seems hopeless. And this is why followers of Jesus are whole, complete story people. We have to be. Because the world is meaningless and futile if there's not more to this story. But we read verse 8. Go to it. Just read what it says. No one has authority over the wind to restrain it. His disciples were filled with... And we know this. His disciples were filled with fear as they asked, Who is he that even the winds and the waves obey him? I've always been fascinated with time travel. Because I'm a nerd. The last pastor of this church was a professional football player. A literal professional football player. And when the search committee found me, they found a goober. A guy just damn. When you look at time travel, you have these stories where people run into the future however they get there. And they experience something bad. And they come back to where they live. Otherwise, there's no tension in the story. They come back and they tell them about the bad thing they'd experienced. Let's fix it. Let's fix it, they say. We as followers of Jesus, remember each week we, we look at the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We have ran 
into God's better future in Jesus. We have tasted and we have seen what God has done for us in Jesus. We have experienced nothing bad in the person of Jesus. Our hope is in Jesus. So when we read that there is in the text like this, and we see in verse 8 that no one can restrain the wind, we as followers of Jesus would say, but wait, there is one who can. Because the winds and the waves obey him. When we read and see that there's no one that has authority over life and death, we look at the empty tomb of Jesus and we see somebody does. He actually told Lazarus to get out of a grave. When we read a text that says that no one is discharged during battle, we see that Jesus is the one who went before Moses to part the Red Sea and allow the children of Israel to be delivered. And we see that we as the people who follow Jesus have him marching into a battlefield. And however you understand Revelation, and I completely don't, and he just wins, not by you and me taking up arms. He wins by speaking by the word of his power. We see wickedness in this text will not allow those who practice it to escape, but we see that there is hope in Jesus for all of us. We see the wages of sin are death, but Jesus, the gift that he has given us is from God. It's eternal life through him. Friends, we have a hope. We have a hope that goes beyond the sun. We have a hope that's bigger than a broken world. So what if we wave that flag? What if that's the life that we chose to live? What if meaning was something that we showed, that we found? Even though under the sun, the world will not be unbroken. In the sun, we can find real, God-honoring, eternal wholeness. Wholeness. Choose with me this morning. Bow your heads. Lord, we thank you for today. I, I thank you that we get to look at your word. Lord, I, I stand in awe that you teach us somehow through a king from thousands of years ago about your nature and your character. Lord, that you teach us about the image of God. God, that you teach us about the broken nature of the world. Lord, I love that we can look at this text and verse 8 and get glimpses of the hope that we found in you. So let us be hope-filled, victory-declaring people as we push towards the better future that you've offered us in your Son. Let us take up the opportunity to serve and show you and do so with passion and boldness. We ask all of this, Lord, in the name of Jesus. I'm in the back right-hand corner of the room. If you need me, I'll be there.